so often, well, really as humans, we keep looking forward thinking someday when the X happens, then I'll be happy, right? We may not say it in quite those terms in our mind, but that's often what we're thinking. Oh, I just can't wait until this is done or this is over with or this thing has happened. And this is life. This is what happens. It, we continue to have hard things that can happen, but man, there are ways that we can overcome them and become better and better even amidst all the challenges that come our way. I'm Clint Hoops, and this is the Unrivaled Man Podcast. The Unrivaled Man is where we help businessmen like you be the unrivaled leader in their work and home. We're revealing the perspective you've been missing to upgrade your identity and become better husbands, fathers, family men, and business owners. Let's get started. Welcome to the Unrivaled Man Podcast. So excited to have you here today, and I am very excited to have with me a special guest, Steve Schallenberger. Steve, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Looking forward to it, Plant. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Steve. Let me tell you a little bit more about Steve. Steve has more than 40 years of experience as a successful business owner, a trusted senior executive, professional corporate trainer, and a respected community leader. He has successfully led companies in four different industries and has a keen understanding of how to thrive in business. After graduating from Brigham Young University in 1976, he continued his education at the Harvard Business School. He's taken his lifetime of experience and founded Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, which is a company devoted to helping individuals and organizations achieve their maximum potential. Steve, I'm so excited to have you on the show and to be able to have you share some of your wisdom with us. Well, it's a delight to be here, Clint, and congratulations to you on the work that you're doing. I love it. I mean, unrivaled man, like that's such a cool concept and uh, you're blessing a lot of people. So way to go. Congratulations. Well, Steve, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's been a fun little journey so far. And speaking of journeys, I'd love for our audience to hear just a little bit more about your journey and your story. How did you get here? Yeah, well, great. I was raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. There were eight of us that lived in a 900-square-foot home when I was growing up. My parents were divorced when I was 14, and uh, Vallejo was a really diverse community. I was raised in the late 60s, so I mean, all kinds of stuff, really crazy things going on. Vietnam and civil rights was important. The love movement, I mean, we had it all right there, and and the unfortunate, terrible assassinations of Kennedy and Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy. So those are really crazy times. Not to stop you here, but you lived through a lot of crazy times where today, I think a lot of people are thinking, oh my goodness, how crazy can it get? And you realize that this has happened before, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, well, yeah, it was worrisome. I mean, and we were in the middle of the Cold War too. And so, yeah, it seemed crazy. I remember as a late teenager wondering, man, can we hold this whole thing together? And then uh, really since that time, uh, for all these decades, things have been pretty reasonable and, and a lot of good news. 
except for maybe the last half a decade. And it seems like things have really returned to crazy and it's scary right now. And we're all in this together and, and there is hope for the future, that's for sure. We can attest to the fact that we can solve problems and get to a better place. That's the hope we all have. It sometimes seems a little dismal, but I love hope. And uh, you and I held a podcast together for Becoming Your Best uh, just last week or in the last few days anyhow. I loved how we ended up, which was your message, which is of having hope. And so uh, I have a lot of hope for the future. I think uh, I have faith in humanity. And the vast majority of people all over the world are pretty magnificent. Well, back to my story. <laughs> Growing up in that environment, I had to be a hard worker. And so I went to work and had a lot of fun jobs. I worked as a garbage man for the city of Vallejo. Uh, I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning, drive through the scariest part of town, wait in line and hope I could get somebody's job who didn't show up that day. And I loved it, but it paid well. And man, did I learn a lot. <laughs> Talk about being down in the trenches. I also learned later work for, was introduced to a fellow by my grandpa Schallenberger. And that also is a testament that sometimes really small things can have a gigantic impact on our lives because he introduced me to a fellow by the name of David Conger, who was a real estate broker. He owned five real estate offices in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he really changed my life. He taught me to read, he gave me books, uh, The uh, Richest Man in Babylon, and all kinds of these cool books that he introduced me to. He helped me start my first company at 16. And so I love it when people can have such an, a big impact on us like that. Uh, I had the chance to serve a mission for my church in South America. Love learning Spanish. That was a big part of it, but also meeting those wonderful people in the nations in the deep South America, Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina. And that has had a lasting impact. Came back to Brigham Young University and one of my missionary buddies who had come back as well said, what are you doing next summer? And I said, well, I'm going to go work for an accounting firm because I was studying accounting. And he said, how would you like to go sell Bibles down in the South this coming summer? I said, I'm in. Let's, let's go do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was a tough job, but, you know, I made enough to pay for my next year school. And, and the next year found an, a publishing company here. I started a marketing company. And we contracted out our services to the publishing company that was here local who had character building books for families. I ended up having the privilege and great fortune of buying that company the next year. And we were way off to the races. Within a few years, we had 700 employees and they would come to me and say, well, how can I be a top sales rep or how can I be a top manager? And so this began a research uh, for me that uh, I thought would just take Clint a few years, ended up taking over 40 years. And what <laughs> I did is that I interviewed over 175 CEOs throughout the world. What I was really looking for is what set apart high-performing individuals from everybody else and high-performing teams from everybody else. Because 
I thought there were a few things I knew, but I knew there was a ton that I did not know. And I was hoping to gain some insights. And so what we discovered from that research is that none of these leaders were really perfect, but we observed over and over again, 12 things that they did that created the excellence. And that's what we put in the book, Becoming Your Best, The 12 Principles of Highly Successful Leaders. And we found that people anywhere can learn about those principles, apply them, and get the same kind of results. One of the things you talked about that I loved in Unrivaled Men is that you're not comparing yourself against others. It's becoming your best. And that's kind of our thought is that as you apply these kind of principles, you then become your best. And we certainly can learn from others, but to uh, compare ourselves to another person, there's so much we don't know. It's just like a, it's a no-win game. It doesn't get us anywhere. Yeah. It doesn't get us anywhere. But what does get us up to a great place is becoming our best. Since then, we've had the great fortune of teaching these principles all over the world to uh, individuals, to large organizations, to small companies, to entrepreneurs, and to governments. And it is a blessing to see the results that they get because they're predictable. The principles are timeless and they're universal. Those are some of the keys that you look at and it's just like gravity. I mean, you know, if you don't believe me, go jump off a, a 35 story building and watch what happens a <laughs> hundred times out of a hundred. Exactly, without fail. Without fail, you can count on them. That's the way each of these 12 principles are. Honesty, for example, the first one that we observed over and over is the very best leaders were true to character. They had honesty and integrity. And if you don't have that, you can kiss off all the rest of them. You know, if you have somebody that's honest, 100 times out of 100, there's going to be more trust. There's going to be more opportunity, more doors open to them. But if someone is sneaky and dishonest or tries to trick people or pressure them to doing things that they don't feel comfortable with, a hundred times out of a hundred, it doesn't work well. Trust goes down, doors are closed. People don't want to work with this kind of a person. This reminded me of what you said earlier. You were talking about how the leaders that you interviewed, those CEOs, those leaders that had all of that success, they weren't perfect. But what I believe is, I mean, this is a lot of your premises that, but they were honest because in order to have that level of success, you'd have to be honest and have some of these other principles because as long as you're honest, people will give you the benefit of the doubt when you mess up, when you're not perfect, when they know that you're straightforward with them. Anyway, that just kind of stuck in my mind a little bit, just thinking about, you know, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means we're on that path toward doing our best and honesty is a good first step. So, yeah, you're spot on on both points, Clint. That's a great uh, observation that you just made is people will cut you slack and as you're trying, but uh, highly successful leaders, people can count on and they go to great lengths to be honest and straightforward and have clarity. They're not perfect, but people learn to trust them. So you're spot on on that. Good job. Well, anyhow, so that's been a great journey. We've written a few more books since then as we've worked with clients and discovered areas maybe that uh, they may need a little more help in, particularly how to prioritize their time. That's a big deal for people. 
uh, the big good time manager. So we wrote a book called Do What Matters Most. And it's actually going deeper on three of the 12 principles that helps people master them. Uh, In other words, here's the how of this. I mean, the why, and then here's how you do it. So that's been fun. We've had a great time. It's opened up so much opportunity. And I love seeing people be able to apply them just like you do. Uh, So privileged and honored to be with you today on Unrivaled Men because the type of people that are tuning into this today are those kind of people. People just trying to be the best they can be, to do better, to be unrivaled in their own life. And that seems to have an impact across the board because these principles aren't just isolated for business or organizations or leadership in that respect, but also on our personal life and in our relationships. And as you apply them, you're able to become excellent in each of these areas. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's like anything else, like in a sport, it takes practice. Leadership takes practice. If you're going to be good in soccer or baseball or football or whatever it is, pickleball. I'm loving pickleball, but dang it, there's no shortcuts. Exactly. (laughs) You just got to learn the rules and practice and practice until you finally are consistent. And then one day you wake up and all of a sudden somehow it's in your DNA. It's a lot easier to do it. So I would say that's my story. I've been blessed to have a great wife and we had six children, 21 grandchildren. My wife suffered from early onset Alzheimer's about eight or nine years ago and went through that terrible disease. And she passed away a year and a half ago from that. So I'm I'm working to apply these principles today. They work as we try to be good fathers and companions and have big challenges in life. I don't think any of you or me or our listeners are spared from challenges and sometimes they get really tough. But as you apply these principles, it does give us hope. It gives us a way forward. And so that's where I'm at. I'm like everybody else, just working on becoming my best in the way I can. And it's been great. So that gives you a little background. And so I'm feeling, you know, excited about life. I'm excited to wake up and have it and participate. So I'm living and loving life right now. I love what you shared there, how the principles that you discuss in your book, and really they do transcend all times of life. Because I think what happens is so often, well, really as humans, we keep looking forward thinking someday when the X happens, then I'll be happy, right? We may not say it in quite those terms in our mind, but that's often what we're thinking. Oh, I just can't wait until this is done or this is over with, or this thing has happened. And just like you shared, which I really appreciated is, this is life. This is what happens. It, we continue to have hard things that can happen, but man, there are ways that we can overcome them and become better and better, even amidst all the challenges that come our way. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. One other thing I want to ask you, both of us, so both of us have six kids, in fact, which is kind of fun. So my question for you is, a lot of the people here, a lot of our listeners have children, right? A lot of them are fathers. And how did you help teach your children these type of principles earlier in life? <laughs> I mean, you work with one of your sons, right? At this point, right? Oh, yeah. I work with a couple of them. And 
really close with all six of them. I'm certainly not perfect by any means, but we are all six really close, and it is nice to be see them prospering. Well, I think the first thing for me that was helpful is uh, just trying to do the best I could in setting a good example. So, for example, I, everybody's different. You have your own things, but I didn't want to hear have my children hear me swear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know how that got into my head. It did happen twice. And so they had a standing rule. One is I was a football coach when one of our kids was in eighth or ninth grade. I was the coach. We had this great team. I said, I'm not going to swear as a coach. And if I ever swear, I pay each one of you a quarter for every word. So we made it through two thirds of the season. And one practice, one of the players just kept running the play wrong. And finally, I just said, damn, get it right. (laughs) And my kids, my sons out there and all, everything stopped. Everything went stone quiet. They looked and they said, coach, you owe us a quarter. (laughs) Oh, man, I felt so bad. But uh, anyhow, the next practice, I brought a roll of quarters and, one other time when I was golfing. So these are things, looks like sports can bring it out in us. Farmers and ranchers, we cut them some slack. If you're working with animals, swearing's part of that world. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but I love your example, though. I, I love what you did in the end, because not only did you teach your kids, hey, I'm going to stand for something, right? What you chose, and that was individual to you, right? Hey, this is what I'm going to stand for. And you held yourself to it. And I love the example of you bringing the quarters, the roll of quarters, just to say, look, I'm sticking to my commitment. So you taught them a couple other things there, I think. Yeah, they know I'm human and it's, it was a lot of fun. And they saw that. The other is that working to find harmony as being a parent and uh, in your companionship and professionally. These worlds definitely can come together. So my office was maybe 10 minutes from my home and it was a large building one of the companies was a printing company so we had printing presses we had of course employee rooms so i'd take my kids down at night sometimes into this building and everybody is gone i'm working in my office but they are having the time of their life they are raiding the candy machine so they're learning how to get things out of the vending machine, you know, and I, I'm going to have to pay for these, I know. Well, they were ours anyhow, but uh, so they'd come back with, you know, their pockets bulging with candy. Then they would play hide and seek in this building, but we spent a lot of time together as well. And they knew what dad did. You know, it's bringing the worlds together. Today, now you fast forward 20 and 30 years, then there were five eight, uh, 10, 12. Those are some of the fondest memories they have. They look back. Those are some of the things they think about playing hide and seek. And, you know, they'd get on the intercom where there are speakers all over the building, try to scare each other. So fun times. And I think fun times, that's another key word, is create a lot of fun times. We played a lot of family football games. Generally, a couple of our children, and we knew who they were, would be ejected from the games. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we still have pictures of them walking down the, the driveway back to the house because they got kicked out of the game. We laugh so hard at that now. and 
we have a wonderful daughter that ended up playing Division I soccer, so she was pretty competitive. She was the youngest. We had five boys and a girl. When she was like five years old, if she did not score every single touch of the football, she would get so ticked off, she'd turn around and chuck the football in the rose bushes and stomp off. I mean, <laughs> oh, my goodness. She's a competitor. <laughs> yeah, but these are happy, fun memories that bring families together, and they learn to play by the rules. And we did every single week we had a family meeting, and we would talk about our family goals. We had a family vision statement. They all participated. I said, we're going to do a family vision. And how do you all see it? Now, this is any age, you know, you can participate in, but as the leader, the father and mother or partnership or significant others, whatever, you take the lead on it. And so I said, how would you describe it? What are the words? And they'd all turn it in and I would wordsmith it. And But that's what our final one turned out to be. And part of the family vision is we don't spit or scare each other. I love it. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> Can't spit on one another. Okay, That's great. A... You know, they get it. That's a rule. And they used to hide before. They'd hide behind the door. And when you're getting close, they'd jump out and scare you. I mean, for heaven's sakes. And then besides the family meeting, we did have a daily. And this is a great credit to my wife. Every morning we would read the scriptures together. And not much, and we weren't sure if they were paying attention sometimes, particularly the daughter had six cereal boxes of fort built around her bowl. <laughs> and she didn't want to see anybody that early, but when it came her time to read the one or two verses, she'd read them and grumpily maybe sometimes, but it went on. The fact is, we didn't know if it did any good, but it stuck. These little things have impacts. Then maybe the last one is I paid the, the boys and Anne to read good books. So I'd say if you read How to Win Friends and Influence People, I'll give you $50. And I said, oh, man, we're in. Sure. I said, all you got to do is write a one-page book report and go over it with me. Tell me what you learned. So we've done that with maybe 10 books, 10 really key books. And that seems to help. So I don't know. Those are a few ideas. Those are great actionable ideas. I love it. Like I said, I'm sure somebody's listening will either take one of those or modify it to fit their situation. Every child, of course, as every parent knows, is different. And some don't take a great deal of effort. Others may take more effort. And uh, one of our sons, they got a ski pass when they're kind of mid-late teens, you know, like 16, 15, 16. So I got a call from the school one day saying, your son has not been to school for six weeks. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I said, well, it would have been nice if you'd have called me like he hasn't been there for two days, right? <laughs> what do you mean six weeks? So. He came home from school that day, and I said, hey, how'd school go today, son? He said, oh, Dad, he said, it was awesome, so good. And I said, uh, well, that's interesting. I said, because the school called and said, you haven't been there for six weeks. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, man, he knew he was busted. And I said, give me the ski pass. I want the ski pass right now. And then we sat down and talked about it. But in order to help him get back on track, 
I asked the principal if I could meet with all seven of his teachers. He was in high school. And I proposed to them that if he goes to school for the rest of the, the next three weeks, doesn't miss a thing, fulfills all of his assignments, would you give him a D? They all looked around and they all agreed. One teacher was reluctant. And so I talked with this child. I said, are you up for this? He said, yeah. I said, okay, they're all in. And he did it. And this was life-changing. In one of the classes, the math teacher required me to sit behind him for a week. So I went to school and sat behind him. <laughs> oh, wow. Everybody's looking around saying, who is this guy in our class? Oh, it's so-and-so's dad. Well, oh, my goodness. This kind of changed everything for him. And then he went to a big 4th of July celebration in our community called the Stadium of Fire. And it's part of the America's Freedom Festival. And there's 45,000 people in this stadium and a big concert. And it starts with a flyover at that time of four F-16s. And that day, he looked at his brother and he said, Someday you and I are going to fly those jets over this stadium. And they captured a vision that changed both of their lives because that's exactly what happened 14 years later. Oh, my goodness. They received permission. They both became fighter pilots in the United States Air Force, F-16 pilots. And they got permission from the Pentagon to be in the same formation and they had permission to do the flyover, piloting two of those four jets. And uh, it's a testament to any one of us. When you capture a vision, an idea, it can change your whole life. And this is what happened to our kids, and particularly that son that was struggling. Because now with that vision that came from within, he knew he had to be successful in high school. And he had to get good grades. And he had to go to college and get good grades. And so that's what he did. They both became extraordinary pilots, a great blessing to our country, and they'd flown many missions. Anyhow, that's what parents do. You know, they just get as creative as they can. They can't get mad. It doesn't help to yell. I don't know. I've probably taken away privileges. I don't remember restricting my kids a lot but they certainly had rules to follow. And if they didn't, we're going to visit about it. And then you need to be there right with them. You know, you need to sit behind them in math class sometimes. And, uh, <laughs> that's I it. love that. Oh, my goodness. The thing that just keeps coming through my mind as you were sharing some of those. First off, thinking of my own children and my own situation. And, you know, I have quite a few young children and, and going all the way up. So we you know, we're right in the thick of all of this and I'm taking notes here. These are some great words of wisdom, but what's also making me think is it's taking me back to some of my times with some of my employees and some of the experiences I've had trying to work through situations with people that aren't performing for one reason or another. And some of the things that you talked about and some of the principles that you shared really just started making me think about those situations as well. And just when you talk about how the principles are true across all parts of life, there is so much truth to that because so many of these things and the way that we treat people and connect with people, it seems to just overlap right over into managing employees as well. Yeah, you're spot on. I'm so glad you made that connection, Clint. Good job. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a fun thing. Well, Steve, we are getting to the end of our end of our time here. And I just wanted to see with all of the different things you've done, different experiences you you've had, what would be the top action step that you would give to my listeners? You know, knowing my audience, what would you have them do in their life to make the biggest impact on them? I want to just say that if you invest in the book Becoming Your Best, the 12 principles of highly successful leaders, I'm not trying to promote it. It's not even about the money, but I can just tell you I've seen the power of the principles so much. I think it's a great start, and it it really aligns with what Clint teaches in Unrivaled Man as well. But if you get these from different points of view, they have lasting, powerful impacts in your life. And this is a fun book. It has lots of stories that helps teach you how to do it. And we have so much in common in trying to create this excellence. And Clint uh, did a wonderful job in just connecting this to our professional lives. Because we all have challenges with trying to bring the best out in our employees and our organizations. And we can do it. You know, it just takes creativity. One of the principles is live the golden rule in business and in life. That's one of the things I saw highly successful leaders do. And that sometimes is different than someone that's shouting at you or not very respectful. But when you care, your employees know. And so do the other people around you. So I think if you invest in that book and don't like it, let Clint know and he'll refund you your money. (laughs) You better believe it. (laughs) You better believe it. I will refund the money. That's the guarantee. But uh, I think that's the first one. You do that and you take it from there. I already know you're an amazing group of people that's listening in, but that has most of it. That would be my recommendation. They're great principles, by the way. Uh, Every single one is inspirational and you feel it the minute you read it. You can tell that it's right. So I think that's it. Those are pretty good ones. I love it. Well, thank you. Yes, I'm going to put links to your books in the show notes to make sure people can easily find it. So you can go ahead and just go right to the show notes and it'll take you to a link where you can get the books. So many wonderful things you can do. I I love all of the stories and the experience, not just your experiences, but like you said, experiences from successful leaders all over the world. And these principles can change your life, starting with what we've talked about, getting a vision and being honest and some of these amazing things. This has been a great discussion today. I sure appreciate you coming on the show, Steve, and, and taking your time to be with us. Okay. Well, good luck on what you're doing. I admire it so much. What a inspirational example you are. And you have so much experience from running companies and your own family. You have such a good attitude. So, I mean, I just love your spirit. I appreciate you and what you're doing. Thank you so much, Steve. Been a privilege. Thank you. And to all of you out there listening today, thanks for joining us. You have so many wonderful things that you can go and do right in front of you today. So now it is your turn to go and be the unrivaled man in your life. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of the Unrivaled Man podcast. I'm Clint Hoops. And if this show has impacted you, please share it with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts.